You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. I'm going to invite you to uh, open your Bibles this morning over to John chapter 4. See if we can make a little progress today. Not that we haven't been. Uh, John chapter 4. I am going to do a little bit of review here and then we're going to hopefully get into some new territory today. Um, well, let's just go ahead and read these verses and then we'll, I'll uh, bring everybody up to date. Everybody remember there are always new people here that haven't heard the last few messages. This is our, is this our third, uh, yeah, third uh, installment in this series. And uh, there are others, we always lay a lot of foundation at the beginning of a series. So there are those who haven't heard that. So as we review, it's good for all of us, but everybody remember there are those who haven't heard what you've heard today. So, so here in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, Jesus, of course, is talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he's going to go on beyond this and talk to her about what true worship is. And we love this whole chapter. But here he talks about the coming Holy Spirit. And he talks about one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry into our life. And so in verse 13, he answers her. He says, everyone who drinks this water, meaning natural water out of Jacob's well there, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, a number of your translations, uh, including the King James Version, translate that where it says spring of water. It translates it with the word well, all right, with a well, because a well in those days and today, are it, it's a place where you can go and you can draw water, but that water is continually refreshed from inside. There is a spring, there is, there is something, there's groundwater that feeds uh, that well. And so we're going to look in a, in a couple minutes at, at some of what Jesus was saying here. It's actually a tremendous amount in this verse. But just to back up and, and review a little bit of the foundation, we've been talking about the fact that Jesus in his teaching laid out two primary categories of the Holy Spirit's ministry to us. The one we find here, and he defined it, or he used the illustration of a well of water. So again, a well is a place where you go to draw water, all right? The second place over in John chapter 7, I'll just read it to you. You don't need to turn there. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39 says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, so very similar language, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He spoke this concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not yet gone to the cross. So the one picture is of a well of water. The other picture is of a river of water. Both are living water. 
both speak of the Holy Spirit and his ministry to us. Uh, The well of water, which is the part we're going to be talking about today, is that part of the Holy Spirit's ministry where when we get born again, which means we invite Jesus to be our personal Lord and Savior. We invite him into our lives. We give him our hearts and we accept what he did at the cross on our behalf to forgive our sin personally. And we accept him in that role as Lord and Savior. At that point, the Bible says we become born again. Something changes on the inside of us. And the Holy Spirit, our spirit, is made brand new. You have a human spirit. You are spirit, soul, and body. We are made brand new in our spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes into us. And that's the language the Bible uses at the new birth. He comes into us. And we've said this over and over. When he comes into us, he essentially comes into us for us. He begins to do things in us. He begins to change us. All right? Later, we read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we're not really going to discuss this morning, probably. Uh, and, uh, and that's what Jesus was talking about there in John chapter 7, and, and we see this later in the book of Acts. But at that point, he says the Holy Spirit will come upon us, and he compares that to a river of water. So here it is. In the one case, he comes into us. He becomes like a well of water. The Holy Spirit becomes like a well of water in us. That is some place that we can go anytime and draw something from him. He lives in us. And there's a place for us, a decision that we have to make, that we will learn how to place a draw on the Holy Spirit. But we don't have to convince the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not somewhere else. And we have to convince him and try and get him to come to us or whatever. He lives in you. It's just a matter of us learning how to hear what he's saying, to recognize what he's doing, to, by an attitude of heart, a a teachable, hungry, desiring attitude of heart, put a draw on the Holy Spirit in us, put a draw on the Holy Spirit flowing through someone else, put a draw, just like you would go to a well and you'd have to put down a bucket or run a pump or do something to get the water out of the well, There is a place, there is a responsibility that we have in this aspect of his ministry to come and to draw from him. And we can learn to do that. For some of us, that's a real new idea, but we can come and learn. In the same way, or in a similar way, a river carries water, which a well carries. But when we start talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's about the you know, a well is someplace you go, a river is going somewhere. A river is flowing out. So Jesus says later, when we receive that baptism in the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit not only continues to live in us and be a well of water in us, but he begins to flow out of us. Rivers have power. Rivers move things. If you've ever been around a flooding river, it, it can be really cool or it can be really scary, but it moves things. Moving water moves things, changes. A river will change its environment. You know, we live in a place where we can look around and we can see where rivers have changed course over time. They have moved and they have moved things. They have literally moved mountains. They have literally 
carved canyons. You go out here and dig, and I can tell you this from experience, you go out here and dig, you try to put in a fence post, whatever, you find round river rock, meaning the river that's over there used to be here, okay? And so it's, it's important for us to understand that there are these two major aspects uh, of the Holy Spirit's ministry to us. We want to be involved in both. We want to participate in both. We want to draw from both. And so we need to understand both. I want you to go with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 for just a moment. And then we're going to come back to John chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. What I want to say here is, and we talked about this last week, this, I've been calling it, for lack of a better term, the well ministry of the Holy Spirit or the into ministry of the Holy Spirit, the part of this that comes with the new birth. He comes in for us and there are specific things he does in us. There are a number of them. But for whatever reason, uh, when, when the Holy Spirit comes into us and that, that well begins to well up within us, he begins to change us. The result of that is Christian character, which we call the fruit of the Spirit. He changes who we are. And honestly, for me, I find this miracle that we're talking about right now changed character from the inside out. We literally become different people if we yield to this ministry of the Holy Spirit. Through his word and through the Spirit working with the word in us, he changes the actual desires of our heart. He doesn't just, you know, what, what was the term? Pretentious practices of piety. The reason we don't live in that or don't have to live in that is because Christianity is not about just loving Jesus and so trying to put on different behavior, trying to have a different attitude trying to let go of some old things in our life and trying to move away. It's not about that. It's about embracing the Savior and his forgiveness, embracing his grace, him pouring the Holy Spirit into us, and the Holy Spirit literally changing us from the inside out. He makes us into a new person. And, and a lot of that has, we have different desires. We have different appetites. And, and all of you can look back on your lives, or I think at least most of you can look back on your lives and see, as, as I've been walking with Jesus, I just don't want to do. It isn't that I have to avoid doing. It's that I don't even want to do a lot of the things I used to do. Or if I'm, if an attitude rises up in me that's ungodly, it's not just me saying, oh, I, I read a Bible verse and that's not right, or I had a Bible teaching, that's not the right attitude. So I need to figure out how to change. I need to get into a program and I need to, you know, take, uh, how many weeks is it that it takes to change a habit? You know, I, I mean, I need to do this work to change this habit. It isn't about that. Those things can be tools. But, but what the Holy Spirit does in us is he literally changes who we are. That is a miracle. People may have known you back in the day, Maybe it was only three days ago. Maybe it was 30 years ago. But they knew you and they know that who you are now is not who you used to be. And if you're faking it, they'll see through that. Faking it is a manifestation of religion. It's not a manifestation of 
the presence of God and the relationship with Jesus. We are not supposed to just paste on Christianity and live behind a Christian mask. God has better than that for us. He literally wants to transform us. And that's, that's the well ministry. That's what it does ultimately is the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out so that we are no longer the same people. We don't do the same things, but it's because we don't even want to do the same things. We live different lives. We have different attitudes. We see the world differently. We see people differently. Thank God. We see people, even those who, are, who hurt us, those who are maybe even still acting as our enemies. We see them differently. We can pray for our enemies, and we can mean it. We can pray for a government that we don't agree with. We can pray for people who we know are, they're even destructive people, and yet we can see them from God's heart, and he wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can pray that for them because we understand that eternity is a lot bigger than the life we're living right now. So, so this well ministry ends up in changed nature, changed character, fruit of the Spirit. The, the other end of this, that river ministry, ends up in a release of God's life and power that manifests him, that brings his healing or his blessing in, in a number of different ways. The gifts of the Spirit flowing, power flowing out of your life to minister to other people. And the point of that is so that they can see how much God loves them. And so my point right now, so that I can move on, is that the gospel was never intended to go forth in the earth without any power with it. There is changed character. There is the new birth, but there is also the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the power of God that moves along with the gospel. Every commission that Jesus ever gave to his disciples included words to tell about the kingdom, to tell about Jesus, to tell about how good God is, to tell people what's available to them. And it included demonstration of God's life in healing people, in setting them free from demons, in setting them free from bondages. You know, we just sang about it. He wants us free from every kind of bondage, every addiction, every fear, everything that could could capture our life and make it a small life compared to what he died to give us. He wants us to have all of that. So here, and did you find First Thessalonians yet? Or did you look up at the screen? First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, and here's why we know. He says, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. So he says, our gospel, this is Paul. He says, our gospel came to you not just with words. In other words, the gospel of Jesus is not just a superior philosophy. It's not just a better thing to believe. It's not just a better moral standard, although it obviously is. It's not just that. It also contains and goes forth with the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants people to know 
that he's real, that he's there. This is why Jesus still is doing the same things he did when he was on this earth. He's doing it by his spirit through you and I. And this is something I don't, I don't know. There's so many things coming up in my heart right now. I, I hope no matter how much of this that we're talking about you understand right now, I hope you will embrace the fact that God has a lot for you and he likely has more for you than we've participated into this point, than any of us have seen or participated in. That the gospel is not just being able to tell somebody that Jesus died for their sins. That's really important, right? But God wants to go along with that and maybe heal their body or maybe... Uh, demonstrate that he's there in another way by bringing them a word of knowledge and saying, you know, I know that this is going on in your life and you've struggled with this, but, but here's the way to be free. There are so many different ways that God will manifest himself where people will know there's no way in the world this could have happened apart from God. All right, so character and power are both important and they are both a part of our gospel. All right, let's go back to John chapter four. You still with me today? Okay, and let's begin in verse one. And uh, we're going to move through this. I'm not even going to say that we're going to move through it quickly because it's probably a lie. Uh, let's begin in uh, verse one. Actually, I'm, I have the New King James up there. I'm actually reading from the, well, let me just switch over so I can be consistent here. All right, so John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. I love that sentence. He needed to go through Samaria because the truth is he didn't need to go through (laughs) Samaria. Geographically, they always went around Samaria. It was a longer trip, but they always avoided Samaria because the Samaritans were people who believed differently than the Jews. They were similar descendant, but they had a different idea about who was who. And and this is what this woman uh, that he's going to interact with comes up with. They were considered, the, the Jews hated Samaritans. The Jews uh, thought they were defiled. The Jews called them dogs. The Jews... Uh, at that time, I mean, they hated the Samaritans. But it says here, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. So why did he need to go through Samaria? It wasn't that he had to go there. He could have taken a different road. He didn't have to go there geographically. He had to go there by assignment. He had to go there to meet with this woman and begin what we would call a revival, begin a transformation and, and try to begin to bring peace between the Samaritans and the Jews by both of them recognizing Messiah is here and we all become one uh, when we give our lives to him. So it says in verse four that he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, that's noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Those are two categories of people that a Jewish man would not talk to. He would not talk to a Samaritan, and he wouldn't talk to a woman. Okay, Women weren't even allowed to be taught at that time. Honestly, I mean, people throw this thing up about, oh, Christians are so, you know, they're putting women down. Jesus did more to lift women up than anybody that's ever lived on the planet. But at any rate, um, so here is, and so she asks, she says, you know, why are you, a Jew, asking a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That's putting it lightly, okay? Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, So his being there was a gift from God. And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then will you get this living water? Are you greater? And so she goes right into the thing. Are you greater than our father Jacob? That was one of their deals. Jacob's well is here. You know, are you greater than Jacob? who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so what he did, he then moves into, he talks to her about, She says, sir, give me this living water. He says, go call your husband. She says, I'm not married. And he moves into a word of knowledge in in telling her how she lives and how she has lived so that she will understand that this is God speaking to her. It's exactly what he does. And he says, yeah, you're right. You're telling the truth. You aren't married. Uh, you're, You're not married. The man you're living with, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. He doesn't do that to condemn her. He does, and she responds to it. She says, "I perceive you're a prophet." <laughs> you know, it's like. And then she asks him, "Once that I, this is just a great picture. Once that word of knowledge goes forth out of Jesus, what we would call a word of knowledge, he tells her something that only God could know, that any human being sitting there wouldn't know, and especially a stranger wouldn't know. And he tells her that, and and she immediately recognizes it's God. And then the subject changes completely. She starts to ask him about worship and she starts to ask him about, well, the Jews say, you know, that we have to worship in Jerusalem. We can't worship on this mountain. And he comes back and he talks to her about that. And he says, look, the day is coming and it's here now when it's not gonna, it's not gonna matter. It's not gonna be about worshiping on this mountain or worshiping, worshiping at the temple. From here on out, people are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And those are the kind of worshipers that the Father is actually seeking after. So what happens is he answers the deepest question in her heart and brings her into this understanding that this is God who has come here to speak to you, this rejected person. And, and, and part of the point here is, Jesus says in the verses that we already read, he says, whoever drinks of this water, whoever drinks of this water, by by picking this person who is of uh, the wrong lineage and who was of the wrong gender, there are two, two, 
of the wrong gender, was an outcast. Here she had, she was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And she was an adulteress. And and with all three of those things working in her life, Jesus went to her and selected her in Samaria to begin to minister and to release his message of the kingdom. None of those things, her heritage, her gender, her sin, none of those things excluded her from the kingdom of God. Jesus went and picked her and he talked to her and gives us this great lesson about how if we come to him and drink, if anyone, there's nobody left out of this. There's nobody left out. This whole incident demonstrates that the kingdom that he was ushering in, it'd be open to everybody, everybody, anyone who who would believe. And so there was nothing about her that disqualified her from coming into his, into his kingdom. And so let me, I want to go through these words right here because there's a lot said uh, in verses 13 and 14 there. There's a lot more than we pick up uh, from, our, from our Bibles. Again, he says, whoever, anyone, whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become, notice the word become, in him, a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. For those of you who are taking notes, let me just give you part of what Jesus is saying here. He says, first, the water I give will become. We don't think much about that. That word become comes from a Greek word that describes something brand new coming into existence that didn't exist before. So when we receive Jesus, and I really, this, this is, there's a part of this that takes place every time we receive what he's saying. Every time he speaks to us. Every time we go and we, uh, we put a draw on the Spirit of God, whether it's in our personal prayer time, our personal devotional time, our time in the Word, here in church, listening to other good teachings, whatever it is, we choose with a hungry heart to put a draw on the Spirit of God and that living water begins to rise up. But when we give our lives to him, particularly for that first time, something brand new comes into existence on the inside of him. And that's what that word become literally means. That, that this, this life that he's offering will become, this isn't just an enhancement to who we are. This is a total change. We become new creatures in Christ, the Bible says. So he says, the water I give will become in him. All right. And again, we've said this over and over. We're talking about the, the into aspect, the, the new birth. When the Holy Spirit comes into us, comes to dwell in us permanently. This will become in him. That means we don't meet the Holy Spirit over here. And then we go over there and he's still over here. And we have to come back to meet him over here. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Something new happens in us. You know, we say this all the time. You're the, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You carry the Holy Spirit. When you're out there at work, on your worst day, when things go wrong, when people are mean, when different things happen, when you're busy in your day, the Holy Spirit is right there in you. You don't have to go somewhere. All you have to do is put down your bucket and begin to draw, dwell, uh, draw from him. Does this make sense? Okay, and then 
He says that this water will become in us a fountain of water. Okay, I already mentioned this earlier, but that word fountain, it doesn't it doesn't mean the kind of fountain we see. I don't know. Where do you see those big fountains in 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 parks in Vegas? Yeah. So it's this shooting fountain that's running out everywhere. It's it's not that it really means a well that is continually fed with fresh water. It's not shooting out and running down the streets, but it's bubbling up in you continually. And this is what this is the most interesting thing to me. This term springing up, this fountain of water, this well of water will spring up to eternal life. This term springing up, it comes from a Greek word that's never, get this, it's never used of an inanimate object like water or a rock, or something that's not alive. It's never used of that. Jesus used it here that way. But what he's saying is, this water I'm talking about is alive. This this term is always used to refer to living things or people. This term springing up. It refers to a living thing, or especially a person, that's jumping up, that's springing up, that's uh, that's jumping, agitating, whatever, but it's always used of a person. And so just in saying that, he's saying the water I'm putting in you is not just, it is the, it, this is a person. This well, this is a person. This is not just a thing. It's not just dead water. Even though we love water, it's not just that. It is a living person, all right? So again, it's just important for us to realize and just be assured. When you or I sin, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. We actually, I mean, it's a, it's a nice idea and David prayed it, but, but we don't actually have to pray the prayer, God, never take your Holy Spirit from me because he's already said he wouldn't. He's already said he will live in you permanently. You can reject, you know, Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hand, right? And that's true. No one can snatch you out of your hand. I believe that we can reject him and walk out, but nobody can snatch you out. Nobody can tear the Holy Spirit out of you. We can harden our hearts to him, and we'll talk about that at some point, We can live a life that grieves him and makes it really hard for us to respond to him or know what he's doing. We can live a life that the Bible talks about quenching the Holy Spirit. It's like pouring water on a fire. And we'll talk about that. We don't want, that's a bad thing. We don't want to do that. Okay. But we don't, even when we sin, we can turn to him and we can ask forgiveness because the forgiveness is done. We have to reappropriate it, but it's, it's done. It's done. The Holy Spirit on your worst day (laughs) is right there in you, which is something for us to think about sometimes. Something for us to think about the places we take him. The the places, you know, the conversations we involve him in. You know, we pretend he's not there. We try to close the door. He is there. And I don't mean that to be a big guilt thing. It's just true. If we love him, Let's not take him some of those places. Let's not put him, let's not take him to those movies. Let's, you know, let's, uh, let's think about where he is. All right. So I just want to, I want to wrap this up today and just talk to you about some of 
the things that we can expect from this this inward ministry, this well ministry. And this is a very short list. There's much more than this to it. One thing that I don't have on here that I should have had on here, we talked about a little earlier, is conviction. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. He will rise up within us. And there is, maybe there'd be a better word for it, but I believe that there's negative conviction and there's there's conviction and there's confirmation. Let's say it that way. But But when the Holy Spirit, when we do, we start to go off. It's really important that we remain really sensitive so that when our thought life or our words or our actions, whatever it might be, start going off of who he is and we start to move into sin and all of us do, that we are sensitive to that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Conviction is not condemnation. It's not telling you you're worthless. If you're hearing that, that's the devil. That's not the Lord. But it is, it's an inward sense that this is an ungodly thought, ungodly words, ungodly behavior, whatever it might be. And the reason he does that is not to condemn us. It is so that we can turn to him in that moment, be sensitive to him and get free from whatever it is. We can repent of that sin. We can let it go. We can reappropriate his forgiveness and grace and walk in greater freedom. So actually the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we have the ability to repent, that's a tremendous blessing. So don't ever put that aside. If, if you struggle with shame in your life, then when that happens, you might start to move back into a sense of shame, a sense of unworthiness. But no, that's not God's point with conviction. God's point is, hey, kid, I want you to stay here. I want you to stay in this safe place. I want you to stay on this course. We don't need to get delayed here. This is not for you. And our response to that is, yes, Lord, thank you. I release that. I let that go. I leave it behind. Does that make sense to you? All right. So I'm going to go through most of these quickly because I really want to kind of get to the last one today. I think that's where the Lord wants us to land. So transformation, we've talked quite a bit about that. It is the the absolute change of a person from the inside out, the change of our thoughts, our attitudes, our personality, so that they conform to the will of God. And you can read about that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Over in Ephesians, it talks about the complete renewing of our mind in chapter 4. Those verses are on your screen. This, This issue of transformation to me is one of the greatest. It's such a quiet miracle that we don't always recognize it the way we would someone being healed of cancer. We think, wow, that's a great miracle, and it is. But a person changing from living in fear and greed to living in joy and, and generosity is a tremendous miracle. person changing from being angry and bitter and unforgiving in their life to receiving and giving forgiveness quickly That's a tremendous miracle when it's actually happening on the inside. So transformation, I believe, is one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in us. All right. Second one I have up here is peace. And of course, we've done a whole series on peace before. In John 14, 27, Jesus said that he essentially said, I bequeath to you my peace. All right. Don't be troubled or afraid. All right. God has given us 
the ability to walk in peace in the worst circumstances. This is not a circumstantial peace. This is a peace that comes from the inside and it has its root in knowing that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And from that place, from living in that place that I have peace with God, God's not, I'm not at war with God. I don't have to feel ashamed before God because of Jesus. I can, I can walk into God's throne room at any time and I know that I'm welcomed because of Jesus. That sense will allow you to walk through all the other stuff in life with a sense of peace the same way that Jesus did. You can be in the storm on the lake and be asleep because the storm isn't on the inside of you. Okay, does that make sense? All right. So supernatural instruction and recall. Jesus talked about this in John 14, uh, 26. He said that the Holy Spirit would teach us all things and that he would give us the ability to remember the things that Jesus has said, all right? The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And he does this, he does this in several ways, but he does this from the inside of us. He teaches us, when you're reading your Bible, those scriptures that just stand out to you one day, that's the Holy Spirit drawing your attention to that scripture because that's the scripture that you need right now. He is a discipler. He trains us, and in that training, we become more like him. You'll be in a conversation with somebody, another believer, and maybe you're talking about God or the things of God, and all of a sudden, something that's said just stands out to you. That's the Holy Spirit pointing you to that truth. I have seen people who just got born again, like last week, they were born again. And then, and so they hadn't even read the Bible. I mean, they were just starting to read the Bible. And, and I've had people come up to me for prayer and say, well, this situation's happening at work, but I just feel like I should, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they are almost word for word quoting the scripture that they've never read. It's the, and I, and I have the privilege of saying, now, stop right here. Remember the voice that told you that because that was the Holy Spirit. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians da-da-da? Well, let's read it. And it's practical. I mean, I remember this one guy that was just like, oh my gosh, you know, that, that was the Bible coming out of me. And I haven't even read the Bible yet. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows the Bible. Uh, and, and the Holy Spirit was working in him that way. It was teaching him, was training him. And what I've found, just my experience, is that a lot of times new believers are very sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit and whether they know that's what it is or not. And then sometimes as we get farther along and we start to learn more things and we start to, I don't know, pick up different kinds of habits, we might get, we might get if we're not careful, less sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit in us. But every one of us, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So if you're one of those people that feels right now, and I realize this can be a real legitimate feeling, you feel right now like, I, I I can't hear God. Other people hear God, I can't. Yes, you can. You may not have learned how yet. You may not have discerned that voice because for one thing, it's coming from in here. And it's not coming from up here which really bugs up here. 
the not coming from up here drives up here crazy. Okay? But he's in here. He's in your spirit. And there are many ways that he speaks to us, but, but he will teach us and disciple us as we walk through life. And he will remind us, he will bring to mind. All scripture is God-breathed. He will bring to mind what Jesus has said. Just, it doesn't just mean the, letter, the words in red in your Bible. He will bring to mind what the Lord has said. All right? So, revelation knowledge, that's 1 Corinthians 2.10. We read those verses, I think it was last week or the week before. Talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit will dig deep into the mind of God, into the things of God, and reveal those things to our heart. Goes right along with the one that we uh, we just said. So let's end up with this. You still with me? You guys awake? Okay. Guidance. I want to talk about this. Probably going to go over a few minutes. But I want to talk about this because it's one of the big reasons that the Holy Spirit is sent into our life. We need a guide. And it's something that Jesus promised as he was leaving and he wasn't going to be there with them physically. This is what all this was about. He'll remind you of everything I said. He'll be another counselor. Remember when we looked at those terms, it meant a legal advocate. It meant one that comes right alongside as close as somebody could come and and helps us and brings us whatever we would need at the time. That's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. And so... I want to look at Romans chapter 8 here. I'm going to read it to you. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. This is talking about something specific, but there's a principle here that we need to see. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. So verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. All right, that word sons, we've talked about many times. It's the Greek word huios. It means an adult child that is partnering in the business with the father. All right, so this isn't just about boys. This is about all of us as believers. But it says that as many as are led, that's a little tiny Greek word, ago, A-G-O. But what it means is to lead along the way by accompanying. Okay, as many are led by the Holy Spirit. They're the the sons of God. All right, that word led, you think about this, it means that the Holy Spirit takes like arm in arm with us and goes through life with us and he leads and he guides. This is a normal part of Christianity. This is a normal part of our life that we can expect, we can anticipate, we can believe God for, we can draw on him for. I don't know which way to go. Well, remember, you have a guide that is there with you, and he will lead you along. He doesn't just send you out and then correct you when you make mistakes. He goes with you. He is with you. He walks through decisions with you. He walks through problems with you. He walks through fun stuff with you, okay? It is, it is someone who goes along with. Now look at this next verse. It says, For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. You received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, all right? So it says this verse 15 gives us the nature of the guidance. He says, you didn't receive a spirit that drives you along by fear. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. He doesn't guide us or lead us 
by a threat of punishment. He says, you didn't receive that spirit. That's the spirit of the world. That's not the spirit you received. You received the spirit of adoption. And that term refers to, you know, we've gone into it before, but that, re- that term adoption means you're brought into the family and you are given the exact same rights, privileges, and responsibilities as someone naturally born into the family. So he's saying, this is how I will, this is the nature of my leading. You are my child. You are a part of my family. You are every bit as much of my family as anybody else is. I will lead you in that framework. I'm not going to just drive you with fear. I'm not going to threaten you. I'm not going to tell you, you know, if you don't do the right thing, you do the right thing or else. That's not the way the Spirit of God leads. And then verse 16 kind of gives us the primary method of guidance. There are a lot of them. But he says, it says there that he will bear witness. Did you see that terminology? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness. That term bears witness. It is a legal term, but it means it it is essentially two voices coming together around a truth, two voices in agreement. It is this idea that We have a human spirit that has been born again, all right? We have a new creature spirit on the inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And we will have this sense on the inside of agreement. We will have this sense that, yes, this is the way to go. We come up to a fork in the road. We can have this sense of agreement. We've got to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. We've got to put a draw on him. Yes, there is a sense in my heart that this is the way to go. Or there is a sense in my heart I shouldn't go that way. Here's this opportunity that opens up in front of me. Lord, is this something I should do? Boy, this makes perfect sense. This is a logical direction for me to go. This is the way my friends think we sh- I should go. This is the way my mama thinks I should go. This is the way, you know, all of this. And yet on the inside... I've got this sense of disagreement. I've got this sense in my heart that is not the way to go. I'm telling you, follow what's going on in here. This is not, I'm not talking about just emotion. I'm not talking about just feelings. I don't have a better way to describe this. We call it a green light and a red light. We call it a red flag and we call it a sense of agreement in our heart. We call it all these different things because it is a, it is a sense on the inside that every believer has of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding. It's called the inward witness. It is like someone at a trial being a witness and saying, this is what happened. This is the way to go. This is what the truth is. Does that kind of make sense to you? It, that's, I believe that's one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Let me just take just a little more time on this. Over in Luke chapter 24, uh, it's the story of the road to Emmaus. The, here are these disciples, and they've been with Jesus Jesus went to the cross. Jesus has been raised from the dead. They are now born again, but Jesus has not yet ascended and sent the Holy Spirit. So we're in that place. They're born again. They're walking down the road. Jesus comes to them. They don't recognize him. And he comes and they're talking about how terrible it is that he went to the cross and everything. And and 
he starts to explain the scriptures to them and explain the Old Testament verses that point to the fact that Messiah had to, had to uh, die and be raised in three days and all this. Later, they say, you know what? When he was talking to us, our hearts were burning within us. And they stand around this little group and they go, you know what? This is a new experience for them. Here, he was speaking to us. We didn't know who he was, but our hearts were burning within us. I believe that was the inward witness. That was the Holy Spirit saying, listen, listen, listen. This is the truth. He was pointing to that truth. They called it their hearts burning within them. I've had that experience. You've probably had that experience, whether it's with a verse of scripture or something somebody's teaching or whatever. And you, and, or, you know, you're reading, you're listening to something and all of a sudden, ooh, there's just this, this sense within you. Pay attention. Grab that. That's for you. The life of God gets on it. it he opens it up to us. And I just, I believe that's how he disciples us. It's so important for us at those times. Grab hold of whatever he's saying. Write it down. Don't forget it. Stick it in your phone. Take a picture of it. Do something so that you can take time to spend with that truth. So sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes it's just a sudden knowing. Sometimes it's just, no, I just know that I should go that way. Or not go that way. I just know. But we get talked out of it. We let ourselves get talked out of it because we don't know how it's going to work out. The, the, the inward witness might agree with your circumstances. It might totally disagree with your circumstances. It could go either way. But we let ourselves get talked out of it. But I believe if we will learn to listen and listen, anything that you hear, whether it's you believe the, the Spirit is speaking to you or whether you are sensing that inward witness, whatever it is, it has to line up with the scripture, the written word of God, and it has to line up with the nature of God. If not, you're missing it. Don't freak out. Just don't do it. And, and don't preach it to somebody else. It has anything he's going to do. Many times it comes just as that sense of, we just have a sense of peace. Colossians 3.15. We just have this peace. This, this should come into my life. That shouldn't come into my life. And sometimes we don't like it, but we need to go with it. It's the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'll just end with this. Years ago, decades ago, when we were living in Durango, Karen was driving for uh, kangaroo down there, delivery. And um, so, and this was before the wheel was invented. Uh, there, you know, there were no cell phones. There was no GPS. There was none of that stuff. So she'd be out there clear over by Pagosa or different places. And there were places going in. There's no addresses. The roads going everywhere. And she'd have this package to deliver. And she didn't know, you know, where, which, which road do I take? It was not clear. And, you know, Google was a spark in somebody's eye. Uh, and, and so, She'd pray about it. And she would just believe God at the beginning of the day to lead her and guide her in that delivery system out there. And time after time, she'd come back with stories about how I got this place and I just knew no, I should go that way and go up. And sure enough, up there somewhere is this person's place, you know, and she'd come to it over and over and over again. It was just the inward witness. It was just the, the Holy Spirit helping her at her job. This... And practice, and practice, 
at learning to listen. What a safe place to practice. If she blows it, nobody would blame her because there are roads everywhere and there's no GPS. So, you know, nobody would blame her. It was understood. You might or might not find this place. So it was practice for her at learning. So when bigger, more important things came, so, you know, then she already knew how to hear from God. And I just encourage you in that. This stuff we're talking about, it's not just for church. It's not just for when you're out witnessing to somebody. It's for all your life. God knows you have a life. God knows you have a job. God knows you have a family. You have kids. You have decisions to make. He knows all that. He's in you to help you with all that. Okay, you ready for me to shut up? All right. They don't know whether to say yes or no. It's okay. Let's stand up and pray this morning. I hope you got something out of that. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you today specifically over this issue of your guidance for us. You're leading. There's so much more that we could talk about with this. But Lord, bottom line, Jesus, you said, my sheep hear my voice. Bottom line, you said the Holy Spirit would come into us. And just like this well bubbling up in us at all times would bring revelation, bring your knowledge, bring your wisdom, bring your direction. Tell us where to go and where not to go many times. Lord, we combine all that with your word. We combine all of that with the things that you are training in us and your principles. And Father, we have the ability to do the right thing. Just to take, I just feel this coming up in me right now. For some of you, all he's saying is do the next right thing. Just do the next right step. No, I know you don't know the whole way. I can't, if I showed you the whole way, you would flip out. So just take the next step that I'm showing you. And in that, Father, we just we show trust for you, Lord, and we know we stay on the right path. So we thank you for all of this. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we go out into this valley this week, Lord, we know we carry your presence within us for us to help us, but also, Lord, to minister to others, to help others, to have a word for them. Lord, we trust you for a word for them, for a touch for them for groceries, for them, Lord, whatever it might be. We trust you for that leading and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we are going to be dismissed. If anybody needs prayer for anything, I'd be happy to pray with you. Um, and otherwise, just go out there and be the church this week and love on people and demonstrate the presence of God. Okay, so we'll say this on the count of three. Oh, it's Super Bowl Sunday. So for all of you fans, have fun. Uh, for all the rest of you, go out and do something fun because all the fans will be home. It's great. Uh, let's say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.